Good morning. Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. We have come to the end of our multi-week journey through John 6 as we have progressively over the last four to five weeks gone through that entire chapter of John of the great Eucharistic discourse and some of us for one reason or another may find ourselves relating very well to today's gospel. Jesus had just announced that he was the bread of life come down from heaven and has presented his teaching on the Eucharist and now the disciples are struggling with believing in it because they don't understand it. In fact, their response is, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? Only moments before, he had a great multitude of disciples and crowds following him, many who wanted to make him king. And in an instant, he would be left with only a remnant. It is a moment of decision. And it was in that moment we see Jesus ask the crowds, does this shock you? And then he doesn't attempt to explain. He doesn't attempt to remedy the situation. In fact, he doubles down by predicting his death, resurrection, and ascension. If these crowds could not believe that Jesus came down from heaven, how much harder would it be for them to believe the great work he was about to do in Jerusalem, that of his death, resurrection, and ascension, and all the many things that would flow from those actions. It was a time for decision to leave or to follow. And our first reading, taken from the book of Joshua, recalls a decisive moment in the lives of the people of Israel. The exodus and the many years in the desert were over. They've not only entered the promised land under Joshua's leadership, but they also took possession of it. They conquered it. And with a long journey behind them, where the Lord not only accompanied and guided them, he also worked great signs and wonders for them and on their behalf. They now had to decide whether they would still serve him or turn back to the gods they left behind in Egypt. Joshua tells them they can do whatever they want, but he's already made his decision. He and his household will serve the Lord. Everything the Lord has offered is freely given, just as it is freely accepted. They're free to simply decide to go back to their old way of life, even though they be foolish to do so. The Israelites, in the face of all the Lord had done for them, acknowledge they'd be crazy to turn away from him now. And they make this great pledge, as we heard in the reading from Joshua. However, as the book of Judges reminds us, they soon did turn away from the Lord after Joshua passed away. And we would see this time and time again, a great judge, a great leader of Israel would rise up and the people would turn back to the Lord and they make these oaths and these promises. But when the leader would die and the times would get rough, they turn away. In a similar way, Jesus' teaching about the Eucharist presents the moment of decision for those who would follow him because it requires faith 
not just understanding. As a result, many disciples of Jesus return to their former way of life. And our Lord poses the question of, will you also leave me to the 12? And Peter's response holds a lesson we should all consider in our own life of faith. Belief is supported by grace. And it is through belief that we understand some of the deepest mysteries of God. If we try to start with reason, as we've seen over the last few Sundays, some truths of God will remain out of reach. Maybe you get an aspect of it, but you'll never fully comprehend the mystery presented. That's the beauty of a mystery. Not that it is simply hidden, but that it is inexhaustible. And it is only through the eyes of faith that we can begin to delve into the inexhaustible depths of the mysteries that God presents before us. We shouldn't be shy also about asking our Lord to help us in our unbelief, in those parts of the faith that we struggle with. It's okay to ask. It's the same way as a young child asks his father or mother to explain a concept of how do things in the world work. We don't ridicule or punish the child for struggling and trying to understand. No, what do we do? We come to their level, we instruct, we aid. And our Lord does the same thing for us. If we turn to him in prayer, he offers us the gift of knowledge. And one of the great ways to do that is through participating in Eucharistic adoration, where we delve into that great mystery of the real presence of our Lord in the Eucharist. In those moments where we can ask him in the silence, Lord, help me to believe in my unbelief. Or maybe in that simple moment of prayer in the car ride to work in the morning, some of us have very busy lives and it's difficult to get to the chapel, but I recommend carving out time in the day so that you may have time to wrestle with those deep mysteries of the faith. And thus, in a way, we may be able to respond as St. Peter does. And as Peter describes it in his response to our Lord, believing leads to conviction. And conviction leads to action of faith. We can live a life of faith without understanding it thoroughly and somehow, some way, it still all fits together. The 12, except Judas, are building on an experience of God and his mystery that they've had ever since they started following Christ, which in turn was built on their understanding of God before Jesus' coming that had been lived and passed along throughout salvation history from generation to generation to generation. And we continue that passing on in our own faith life by passing on to our children, be they physical or spiritual, to our grandchildren, be they physical or spiritual. We continue the great aspect of, of our faith life and our faith history of passing along the great works of God of how he has worked in our lives, of how he's worked in the lives of our people. And in that, we can stand on a firm foundation of faith because God has worked in the past. He will work in the present and he will continue working into the future. They were drawn to believe in Christ because they were drawn to him by the Father. And thus we have Jesus' statement, for this reason I have told you no one can come to me unless it is granted by my Father. 
This is thus how Peter, though not fully understanding the reality before him, in faith testifies to who Christ is, testifies to his divinity, declaring him to be the Holy One of God, to not simply be a prophet, to not simply be a teacher of the law, to not simply be one chosen, but to be God himself, to be the Holy One, the one that all Israel was praying for his apparition, for his coming, for the salvation of Israel. And thus Peter, not fully understanding the reality, didn't have the full theology in the back of his head in this moment. But in time, as he would reflect back on these encounters, on these moments, the foundations of our faith life of the church would be laid in stone. It's very much the same for us. We are given the same choice the Israelites and the disciples in today's gospel were given. Do we return to our old lives? Or do we follow after Christ, even in faith when it is difficult? After all, to whom shall we go? It is he who has the words of eternal life. It is he who gives his flesh and blood for the life of the world as true food and true drink. We must ask ourselves, can we say like St. Peter, we have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. And to give us a conclusion or at least a bookend to this journey through John 6 that we've been having over these last few weeks, I leave you with a quote from a contemporary theologian by the name of Lawrence Feingold in his work, The Eucharist. In summary, Christ wished to give us a share in his divine life of glory. What better way to accomplish this than to nourish us with his very body and blood, thus communicating to us a frequent increase in sanctifying grace. Our Lord continues as he summarized to give of himself to us that we may be nourished, that we may have food for the journey, and we may not fall to the wayside. Amen.